Hi, everybody. Welcome to the Don't Miss This Podcast, a Come Follow Me study with Emily Bell Freeman and David Butler. We fill this show up with all the things we think you don't want to miss in the scriptures every week. Thanks for listening. We hope you enjoy the show. Hi there, I'm Dave Butler. I'm Grace Freeman. Welcome to Don't Miss This. You guys, we've made it to the very last book of the New Testament. That is crazy. Another year down. We did it. Merry Christmas, everybody. By the time you watch this, it will be officially Christmas time. The debate is over. The pre-post-Thanksgiving business, it's like official. <laughs> you can listen to whatever you music listen you, to whatever want. you want. And you can read whatever you want. And, <laughs> and no can, one will be bossy yeah, to you. you say Merry Christmas. Um, here's the good news and the good news. The New Testament ends on the book of Revelation. It's, uh, it, it really is a bookend to the whole Bible, to be honest with you. And when you read it, I, I, I'm getting flustered in my words because I'm actually getting really excited about this book. I genuinely... <laughs> I you genuinely, can't even talk. Yeah, I really You're am so like, excited. whoa. I'm like, get, I'm like eight steps ahead of myself in what I'm saying already. And it really is a fantastic book. It's crazy. It's the, the bad news is, there is some bad news, is that we're in December and it's so busy right now because of Christmas time and everything. And so give yourself a lot of grace with your scripture study and all of that kind of stuff. But this is a, this is a book that's worth your time and jumping into. It's a fantastic time to study the book of Revelation, actually, because uh, we live in the Christmas Eve of time. We, we always have this thing we call Advent, right? And a lot of people think that Advent means cheap chocolate inside those little windows, you know, that you like break <laughs> we out. We love those We love those. But it's a Latin word, and it's a word that means the, his coming. And from the very, very beginning, the early church celebrated Advent because, one, they anticipate, they, they reread the story, and they thought about the feelings of anticipating his first coming. Like the whole Old Testament was an anticipation book. The promises are left undone. It ends in a cliffhanger. It's like, when will these promises be fulfilled? And there was this sense of anticipation that's really, really good for the soul. Well, we live in a similar time, not just for his, not for his first coming, for, but for his second coming. And so the book of Revelation is an anticipation book also. It's written to those of us who live in that Christmas Eve of time. So December is busy, but it's a fantastic month to study and read and just, just, sit in the themes and and all the promises of the book of revelation so and it's so fun because you're already excited in december and it's so cute that revelation gets to be an excited book it's so you know yeah it's like (gasps) it's like an epic tale this book is it's like it's the end scenes is pretty much what it is and it's it gets you pumped up it gets you excited it fills you with hope it's just designed to do all of those things so we're excited to jump into that. What's the name of that song? Is it named that? Who is worthy? Is he worthy? Is he worthy? Is that that's the true? that's gonna go this week into the um into the dailies in the app as the song of the week, but we should just tell you. Yeah, and you might you wanna want as your like pump up song for this lesson anyways. You yeah. might want to pause and it just goes go listen. With Revelation four and five. So we named it kind of after that that song. This is the question that's asked, but um, we're going to jump in. This is St. John. This is his revelation. A lot. Um, it's kind of commonly believed that he is probably exiled in some sort of house arrest or prison on this island, the Isle of Patmos, and he receives this revelation while he's there. 
It's in a time of really intense persecution for the, for the church. So he writes this letter and you get right at the very beginning. It says to the seven churches, um, seven branches of the church all throughout. And he writes this letter and it really is a letter that's supposed to fill them with hope uh, for what they're dealing with and the hardships of being a Christian at the time, which makes it a letter that's applicable to anybody who reads it in any period of time. Because whether Jesus comes tomorrow, like in fullness and glory, bless, <laughs> or whether I leave this world tomorrow, whatever the case may be, all of us are in that place of enduring and waiting. No matter what time period we live in, no matter what date on the calendar he actually comes, we all experience and are living through that I'm enduring and I'm waiting and I'm anticipating. Because either death or his coming, or either of those will, and will happen and, and, and it will have the same impact and, and effect. And there's something powerful in knowing what you're waiting for. You yeah. know, that it's not worth it to wait for something that you don't know what you're waiting for. Yeah. You know, right. and it's cool that he's like, no way, actually, like, let me tell you what you're waiting for. And like, let me give you some hope in the wait. It's awesome. Such a good book. So um, you may remember from the Book of Mormon that... Nephi gives us that history of the world. That's coming next year. That's another good news, y'all. You can look forward to that. He's going to give us that. Okay, let me give you like the whole history of the earth. And he's almost going to tell you the wrapping up scenes. And then the angel stops and says, that's not your job. It's going to be someone else's job to tell the end scenes. And that is John the Beloved, um, who writes this book, who also wrote John, 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 who we just did and the Gospel of John. That we also did too. Big writer. Yeah. I like him. This is going to be the hardest experience of our life to try and like compact this <laughs> because this book has like commentaries that are that thick um, that people write about. Emily and I did a master class on the book of Revelation that you can find on our website if you are so interested, probably not during the month of December. <laughs> just wait. <laughs> wait until January. It's You'll a, still be waiting. Yeah, That's fine. It's still a great, it's a great month to study it, but you just might not with all the things. And you're... then you get double Christmas Eve. Revelation yeah. Christmas Eve and real Christmas Eve this right. month. So, um, but if you if you get excited about the book of Revelation and want to look into that, you, you totally can. All right. We're going to talk about the different themes of the book of Revelation to start off with, just kind of to let you know, okay. Here's some of the things that you can you could be looking for as as you read it. Um, I, I, and you can find some of these in that first chapter. You'll get into verse three of chapter one. Blessed is he that readeth, and they that hear the words of this prophecy, and keep those things which are written therein, for the time is at hand. You live in a you you live in a um, the uh, what do you, I, I don't know what word I want to say unique, but the interesting thing is, like I said before, everybody, this is your time. Whenever you're on the earth, this is your moment. This is your mortal experience. This is your time to leave a mark. This is your time to endure. This is your time to learn the lesson. So the time is at hand for anybody who reads this book at any period of, of time. And he gives these uh, themes he says this is to the seven churches, and I just want to point this out right now, like just jump into this and say, this is a very symbolic book. That's probably it's what it's known for. Its reputation is that it's a symbolic book, and there's so much going on in it. And you want to read it symbolically, you know? And symbols always point to a reality. 
but they point to a reality in a way that invokes feelings and emotions and images and pictures. It becomes a richer experience. Um, so he writes to the seven churches. Did he actually write it to seven different branches of the church? Probably so. But that seven also means fullness or complete. So it could be a way of him also saying, I'm writing to the full church on, throughout all periods of time. Here are some of the themes. Number one, that God knows the end from the beginning. Um, that's verse four. He says, from him which is and which was and which is to come. Do you know what's awesome is in this book, the one who's preparing us for the second coming is the very one who's coming. This is a revelation, verse one, of Jesus Christ. So the one who um, was and is and is to come, he's the one giving the counsel. He's the one giving the direction. He's the one who's like giving this revelation. I, I put this little word on here, trust, because that's one of the themes of this book is like, oh, we often wonder, where do I put my trust? Like, who can I lean upon? What, what, what can I believe? And, and right at the very beginning, we want to learn. He knows the end from the beginning. He knows how, the, how this all wraps up. And, and, and that makes it so that he's someone that we can lean on and we can trust. Go ahead. <laughs> <laughs> right, I was like, oh. um, And I think it's something so powerful to realize that he wants to introduce himself in the very beginning like that. He's like, no, 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 wait, actually, I am, I'm wiser than what you expect, almost. That he's mm. like, no, 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 don't worry. I see the big picture. Right. This is a big picture book, and he sees it. Yeah, right, right. Which is, cool. Which is so cool. And, and especially from someone who, depending on what period of time that you live in, like it's interesting to look back on these churches, these seven branches, 2,000 years later, and to look at their experience. And I, I have the gift of time on my side, I have the gift of like a little where I could say, oh, hold on. You've got, because I can see, you know, you because I'm out. outside of their experience. Yeah. And Jesus is saying to us that I'm outside of yours and I see what you don't see. Yeah. And I know the middle, the end and the beginning. Which instantly makes him someone you want to listen to. Exactly. Which is right? cool. So um, this is, oh, I, I should say this about the book of Revelation. That word means the apocalypse, which makes you sound like um, a fire hailstone's about to drop on your car or something like that. Um, but that word apocalypse means the uncovering or the opening up or the revealing. That's why it's called the book of Revelation. It's like, let me show you. Let's just be clear and plain about who you are, what your potential is, the struggles you'll have to overcome, how to overcome them. Like, that's the purpose of the book. Let's show you the game plan. Let's open it all up for Which you. Which I feel like is actually something that we crave so deeply as humans is that we just really sometimes want someone to be like, no, actually, like, give it to me straight. Like, just like, let's just like figure this all out. Right. And I love that that's what it is. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Okay. Another major theme in this book is that the faithful will be crowned. If you endure, if you overcome, uh, there, there is a crown in heaven waiting for you. There's a great sense of worship in this book. There are several spots where it, um, it's written and designed so that you will pause, that you will awe and glory and give honor and, and respect to God in heaven and to his son. There's something about that that just does something to the soul to, um, to worship, to enter the throne room and kneel at the, at the feet of grace and to sing the new song and to, you know, and to shout praises. There's something really good for the soul, particularly in times of unknown and times of distress. And so you'll see that in the book. And it almost surprises you. 
Like, yeah. even within the first five chapters, I already was surprised. I was like, oh, like, it changes the way you see. Yeah. Which is cool. Yeah. There's a, what Bible scholars call cosmic dualism in the book. All throughout it, there's this idea of, like, good versus evil. There's uh, the bride, and then there's the whore. There's the lamb and the dragon. There's the city of Babylon. There's the city of Zion. There's um, God. There is the devil. And you just have this throughout this whole book. You just see that the battle that played out in the pre-mortal world is still continuing just a new battlefield. And so you see that all throughout the book. And there's a pull from both sides throughout it. And then in the end, you see that God is victorious. It makes that really clear from the very beginning that God will be the victor of this entire thing. And so will his saints. And then, which in turn, is it's a, it's a book of hope. Which I think a lot of people would be um, surprised by because you're like, tell me something in the book of Revelation. And someone's like, a dragon, a beast, a uh, 666. You well, know, even just the name. Stuff. That when you want to say that the, the name. The apocalypse. Yeah, it's like, like, ah! that's not and hopeful. And it's just like, oh, it's a hopeful. When you, open the, when you open it up, when you reveal the story for what it actually is, when you expose Satan for who he actually is, um, when you show how, how powerful and good God is, it, it leaves you with hope. And the book will do that. Because there's a sense in the book that says God will be victorious. It will be messy until then is a sense of the book. And so throughout the book of Revelation, there's these interludes of hope where it pauses and it says, let's live in hope and worship for a minute. Okay, now back to the mess. Now pause. Now back to the mess. God did that with the creation of a, of a Sabbath where every seven days he said, pause, worship, hope again, see things from a different perspective. Let me remind you of the story. Let me have a moment to connect. And the book of Revelation seems to follow that same divine pattern of take a Sabbath every little bit to worship and to hope and to, and to see clearly. Now go back into the story you're living out. And it really is kind of, whether it was intended like this or not, it kind of is an overwhelming book. And it really, you kind of have to like unpack things. And I think it, Honestly, I just thought of this and now I want to do it in my real life. But it might be helpful for real to get a sticky note and write down all of these themes. Because if you know what you're looking for, you might love the book extra. Yeah. And if it might like make things more like a little bit more explanatory. If you're like, okay, wait, I know what I'm looking for in this book. Yeah. I am looking for God to win. Let me see where God wins in this chapter. I am looking for hope. I'm looking for what I can learn about worship. When you go through this entire book, you might just want to have these somewhere while you study to remind yourself. Yeah. Yeah. And I think it's something really good. That's why I think this book is fantastic to study because you may be feeling right now that you look around and, and you would say, this is the great day of the devil's power. He seems to be in charge now. He's, he, he seems to be having his say and what he wants to go on. But the book promises that the day will come when, when God will come in and change everything. So hold on. Stay faithful, be hopeful. It really is the perfect book. And it was written, like clear, it was, it's, it's made pretty clear, written and passed down for this time period, the time right before the second coming of the Lord. I made it sound like it was tomorrow. <laughs> What's the second time? It's my second time, like <laughs> prophesying Can't about wait. that. Um, so that's kind of what you get right from the beginning. You get some hints of this and some of this I'm just giving you as a, as a preview for it. As well. And how cute that the end of the Bible wants to end with God wins. You yeah. know? Mm -hmm. It's just like, okay, here we go. Yeah. And I'll, should I just give you this? I'm just going to 
tell you, the Garden of Eden happens in Genesis 1. There's a fall from it, and there's a yearning from Adam and Eve and their posterity to return to the Garden of Eden state for the entire book. That's like for the whole Old Testament and New Testament. That's the hope and the wish. And then Revelation 22, right at the very end, it, it, it we're, we're back. We come back. And so, pretty cool. It's cool. It's cool how that happens. All right, we're going to look into, right at the very beginning, this is what, what you were saying, which is super cool, that Jesus is, Jesus is the guide for this, and he's going to introduce himself and teach us some things about him right at the beginning. I think if, if there were something, there's so much good stuff in chapters one through five, we can't even like tell you what the best <laughs> is. But one of the, one of the places I'd spend my time um, in my study as a teacher is, what do I learn about Jesus Christ from this book? And one of the great places to see it is, oh, all the chapters, how dumb. But like chapter one, it starts right off and says, let's introduce you to who he is. Well, and it's so tender to me to see how he wants to introduce himself. And you can go through. Which is interesting because if you have to write your own bio, which no one wants to do. No, because it's a little embarrassing. Right, to write your own bio. People always say, hey, send me a bio. Make something up. Yeah, I don't really want to. Yeah, you too. But Jesus writes his own bio here. Yeah. And we get a chance, like, okay, how would he introduce himself? Well, and I think it's so cool to think if you're, like, living in this Christmas Eve of times, if you are waiting, if you are on the edge, if you're us, it's so cool to me to think, like, who does Jesus want to be for me? And this is actually how he wanted to introduce himself. Yeah. He was like, oh, if you need to see me, look for me like this, which I think is really cool. Um, He starts out, you can find it even, like, right in verse 5. And from Jesus Christ, who is the faithful witness. Pause. That's our name of Good Jesus for the week. And the poster that you'll hang up in your house. You guys, I am so, these, oh, I love these so much. These names of Jesus that we've looked at. You just have to read I'm leaving well, mine just, up, just yeah, so you know. Yeah, we're just kidding to the very end. And it's like, oh, that's it. But the Book of Mormon posters, I opened them up today at my house. And they are really, really good, too. So <laughs> I was sad. But then I was just like, oh, because the Book of Mormon posters are going to be Here's who he is, and here's what he does. Oh, which is so cute. And you're just like, ah, okay. So, so it's don't fine. worry. You're going to still gonna love him. Fine. You're going to love him next year, and yeah. you can love him this but year. But read fine. the Greek. Oh, here's the Greek right yeah. on here of what this word faithful is. I, man, I just, this word faithful means that trustworthy, like uh, faithful to a spouse, kind of where, where the Greek is. Trustworthy, believing, sure, like a, like a sure foundation can be relied on, genuine and loyal and that word witness is sometimes translated from the greek as a martyr it's like i will be true even till to my death my uh, i i i i'm gonna stand by my cause and my purposes no matter what i will be true and faithful to my cause is what he is saying and then it leads you to ask the question what is worth dying for what are you witnessing to um and what is your cause that'd be a great question to ask well and i love that it almost flips that word faithful in my head because i think most of the time when i hear the word faithful i think about me am i being faithful am i what am i doing to even just like the word faith build my faith how am i being faithful to him and i love that he actually wants to start out the conversation and say hey i need you to remember that i'm faithful to you right and i'm going to prove that through this entire book Mm. my faithfulness to you you see it by the end of this lesson you are going to be convinced of that like you can't even help it when you read that he is like no i'm going to show you that i am a hundred percent faithful that i am actually trustworthy that i'm a hundred percent invested in you 
that's who he's going to be. And that's how he starts out his introduction, you right. know? And you keep going, and it's so cute because, like, even five through eight is him just, like, it's just his little bio, which is so cool to me that he wants to say, um, and the first begotten of the dead and the prince of the kings of the earth, unto him that loved us and washed us from your sins in his own blood. And then I love going down to verse eight. I am Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the ending, saith the Lord, which is and which was and which is to come, the Almighty. And I love that he wants to remind you at the very beginning of this book. He's like, no, no, no. I need you to remember that through this book and through your entire life and through actually the entire big book of all of the scriptures, I actually am the center of this story. Mm. The beginning, the end. If you want to know what the story is about, it's actually about the alpha, the omega, the beginning, the end. It's him. I'm, I am, everything is wrapped up in him, which I think is so cool. Yeah. He's like, no, like, let me start like that. Mm -hmm. Everything in there. I, I think this would be so awesome. This is going to be the start of something that you could do. Um, because the next little part that we're going to get into is going to be a continuation of, but to make a list and say, um, because six, look at his cause, his purpose. I, I will make you kings and queens, priests and priestesses unto God. Right from the very beginning, you see here, part of my bio is here's my intentions. Here's my end game. Here's my, what my glory and dominion is for forever and ever at the end of six. And seven is so cool where he says, and I want you to pay attention to how often this word is used or something like it in verse seven, every I, all, like I want you to get a sense for who is being included in all of the glory and victory of this. I, I feel like I just talked to somebody two days ago. No, I feel I did talk to someone two <laughs> days ago and I feel like they would love this word because they said, I just don't see him in my life right now. And I like Jesus's promise here. It's like every eye shall see him, even they which pierced him. One day, everybody will get to see him for who he is and what he's done. Um, there's a lot of wrong ideas about him. There were a lot of misconceptions about him. And he's going to say, I'm, one day you'll, you will get to see who I really am and what I see in you. Which is even cooler because right after this, he actually paints a picture of who he is. Yeah. And I think it's so cool that he's like, listen, I'm going to introduce myself, but you still might have the wrong idea. And that has been a pattern in all of history, not even just in scripture, but just in our lives all the time, right? That like on accident, sometimes we paint the wrong picture of who he is. Mm -hmm. And there's something so beautiful that he's like, no, this is who I am. You might not see it right now, but let me actually paint a picture of me in this book. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Which is awesome. So speaking of that picture, if you're watching... Click this over, you guys. <laughs> you needed a warning before I clicked over. Ever a picture. If you're watching on the, okay, if you're watching on YouTube, you can see this picture right now, which I just Googled a picture of Jesus from the book of Revelation, which, and if you're listening on the podcast, it's, it's a literal painting description of what he's about to say. He's about to like say, paint a picture of himself and someone drew it pretty literally. And it, it's freaky. Like nobody in the whole universe wants this picture in their room, in their house, in their mind. It's you not in any it, churches. You know, deleted from your memory right now because you're like, gah, <laughs> you know, as you look at it. And this is where you start to, where the idea of revelate, uh, symbolism really can come alive and where you have to take it and use your imagination. This book in particular demands that you use your imagination and get drawn into what, picture what is this actually trying to paint what feeling is this trying to invoke in me 
And something that's going to be helpful is understanding um, how he, the ancient people, um, their symbols, um, their, their colors, their animals, their, their numbers, they meant something. Um, and when you said it, somebody knew right away. If, I, if you opened up a, a newspaper, which who has in the last 25 <laughs> years, but if you opened up a newspaper and you saw like a political cartoon and there was a, an elephant and a donkey in it, nobody would have to explain to you like what those two symbolized. You would just, oh, I know. I know what that is. I know if I know an eagle would represent America. Like, so they were really, really familiar with these symbols and nobody needed to explain it to them. And it would evoke, invoke an emotion in them when they saw it. So we're going to help you by giving you this if you go over to the next screen. And let me say this oh, really yeah. quick. Let me say this. Um, you also... If you are struggling or maybe like you're teaching people, I think it's really important to have a conversation and say, oh, actually, I think on accident, maybe because we go to school for so long, we are trained to read scriptures a lot of the times like a textbook. And we're like looking for like facts. And usually when you read a textbook, you don't have to have an imagination at all. You just read it like for facts, easy. And it like automatically, like I think that would be an important conversation to have before you start this and say, hey, actually... What does it look like to read with your imagination? And you're going to have to start doing that. It's going to, that's going to be important right now. Right. You know? Yeah. Okay. So this might be really helpful to you. If you're listening, um, we have like a screen here that has what a lot of the colors and symbols in Revelation chapter one, um, wh what somebody anciently would have known that they meant. Some of them carry over to today and it's pretty, it's still pretty obvious. Like gold is divinity and godliness. You're like, oh, I could get that. Um, white is purity and victory. Like, oh, that still carries over to today. Some of them don't carry over as much, but these are the symbols that you're gonna wanna know from Revelation chapter one. And this would be helpful to give almost, um, there's a couple times throughout the book of Revelation, this one and the story that we're ending on in, in chapters four through five, where it would be cool to give people the code and say, okay, now what are you learning about him if you know if you know the symbolism code yeah. for well, what he's saying. Even, I think it was so cool. This is what I did for my study when I did this. I actually drew it out. I am not an artist, so we'll never show anyone that <laughs> picture for the rest of our lives. But I actually drew out how Jesus was described in this. And then before I even looked at any of the symbolism, I actually just wrote down what I thought. I was like, okay, if his eyes, it says his eyes are filled with fire. And I was like, what would it mean if like your eyes are filled with fire? And I couldn't help, like, you know, when you see someone talking about something that they're super stoked about yeah. and their eyes, like you can tell, like they have like a sparkle in their eyes. I was like, oh, he must be passionate. Like the Jesus I know must be passionate. He like must be like alive. That's what mm. it made me think of. And it could be cool in a class to just describe this and have them draw it and say, okay, I want you to use your imagination. What could this teach you about Jesus? And yeah. then use the symbols. Because what, feel like, for example, what feeling does fire invoke in you i mean think yeah. about a campfire have you ever sat at a campfire and you're just like tell me the feeling of like sitting around a campfire and looking at it and you're like oh, i feel warmed i feel protected or it even draws like, me in it's so cute that you know how like you could get mesmerized by fire totally that's so cute if jesus's eyes are like fire and you're just mesmerized right by it, you know something about you that i can't take my eyes off of you so know? cool and i sense power in you but i'm not yes. afraid at the same time. Mm -hmm. And so there's something, there's something about that as he goes through. Um, go back a couple of verses. We'll yeah, we just skipped ahead. Can, Sorry. Yeah, no, no, no. This is perfect. Um, if you go back to 12, you see him, or 13. So he's standing in the midst of the seven candlesticks. And so the seven candlesticks are the churches. So he's standing. It says that in verse 20, in case you're confused where that came from. Oh, yeah, where we got that. Yeah. Okay. 
Um, he's standing in the midst of them, which is awesome. It's that name, Emmanuel, like um, God with us. He's in the middle of it with everybody. He's which not... is a pattern for like the next five chapters. Right. That he's like, no, actually, I will be in the middle of you. Right. And he was clothed with a garment down to his, down to his foot. To be clothed is a symbol of power and authority. Uh, and, and that's also an atonement word. So you're seeing him as an atoning savior with those. He's girt about the paps with a golden girdle or like a golden sash. Um, gold is that um, symbol of purity and divinity and truth. And the girdle is a belt. It goes around your stomach. You know in the scriptures when it says, my bowels are filled with mercy for you. And you're sort of like, ooh, um, <laughs> my stomach loves you. And you're sort of like, that's weird. That's because anciently your stomach is what we would say is your heart. Today, what we would say is my heart is filled with compassion for you. In scriptures, you were like, my stomach is. It's just, that was the center of emotion. That was the center of um, what was important just to ancient people, right? On, on Valentine's cards, they had drew stomachs instead of hearts, you know? Just, <laughs> <laughs> I don't know if that's true, everybody. Um, this is what they did. And so he's just wrapped up, right? All his emotions and all of it, like the core of him is full of purity. It's full of divinity and it's full of truth. Um, his feet are like fire, oh, then his hair and white were as wool. Um, his eyes is that flame of fire. His feet were like undefined brass. Um, brass is a symbol of judgment, um, which is a, you want to see that as I'm going to make everything right in the end. All of the unfair, all of the unjust, all of the overlooked, all of the persecuted, all of the forgotten, I am going to make things right someday. And his feet, they're set in it. They're firm in that place. Which is also cool about brass. I like that that's, that's heavy. You know, that's steady. That is short. Right. You know? Yeah. Which is cool. Um, his voice was as, as the sound of many waters. Um, <laughs> you're just kind of like, what the? <laughs> um, this is a great fun question to ask a class. Like, okay, give me some, when you think of many waters, list some, um, some bodies of water. Like, what, what would be the sound of many waters? You know, and someone might say the ocean or someone might say a waterfall or somebody might say a rainstorm. And then again, okay, what emotion does the sound of many waters like draw? Like why, why would his, his voice, I don't think sounded like a waterfall, but like why would it be described as a waterfall? And then you get a chance to teach people and help them like sit in that, oh, the emotion of when he speaks, it feels powerful it feels cleansing it feels like um well and it's cool because i love that it's like okay i never even thought of this until you just were describing it but it would be cool to be like okay give me a list of like all those things rivers ocean all of those things sound deeply different like yeah. a waterfall sounds so different than a river and a river sounds so different than the ocean and that could be a cool conversation but it even makes me more excited because it would be cool to say like why do you want his voice to be like that and I was talking to a girl the other week and she was just like, I need God to be loud right now. Mm. And I love that. Oh, why do you want his voice to be the sound of many waters? Because maybe you actually need him to be loud in your life right mm. now. Mm. And he actually is capable. Yeah. Or I need him to be steady or I need him to be powerful or I need yes. him to be soothing depending on. Yeah. Right. What's his voice? What do you need right now? What it is in his right hand. The right hand is the covenant hand. So it's a hand of promise. He's holding seven stars which you find out at the end of the chapter are the seven leaders of those churches. And imagine being one of those leaders and knowing he's in the midst of us and he's holding us in his hand. 
and he's holding us in the hand of promise. At the same time, a reminder of just like, I, I've made covenant not to forget you and, and to lead you and to, and to hold on to you. And to be in his hand is just really sweet and tender. Out of his mouth is a two-edged sword, right? And we learn from scripture that sword represents truth and spirit. It, it cuts through things. It pierces. It's def- it defends. It, um, it, it does all those things that you could like play with that word too. And, and the sun shineth in his strength. And then he says, I, I saw him and I fell at his, at his feet. And, oh, and, and the keys, he holds the keys of, oh, in verse 18, I am, um, I'm alive. I was, I once, I lived and I was dead, but I'm alive again forevermore. Amen. And I have the keys of hell and death and keys are that they open things. They, they, they're a symbol of power and authority of, of what he has. I, I have, I have power and authority over life and death. Now, one thing that'd be really cool to do is after you go through all these symbols, is to say, now rewrite in your own words. Don't use the symbols. Use oh. what they mean. And you write a description of, of who Jesus is. And it would be neat to see what you might do. We put a spot in your journal for that, but for a class also to say, what do you, um, what would you say? You, and you'd put things in there like, um, I have confidence that he will make everything right someday. When I look into his eyes, I feel drawn. I feel protected. When I hear his voice, it's loud, it's powerful, and yet it's soothing. Uh, when he speaks, it, it pierces right to my heart. I'm able to cut through all of the, the, the lies and distractions of the world. He's full of divinity. He's full of purity. He's full of truth. I mean, you could just, you would write this description of who he is, and all of a sudden it becomes a really beautiful description of Jesus. And it's so tender that he wants to end in verse 17 with that moment when he says, fear not. And I think sometimes when you hear about someone this good, this divine, this extraordinary, there's something in us that is like a little bit like, whoa. And I love that he's like, listen, you don't need to be afraid because I'm on your team. I'm faithful to you. I'm the first. I'm the last. I'm he that liveth and was dead. And I am alive again forever. And I love that he's like, listen, you don't need to be scared. You don't need to be scared of life without me. You don't need to be scared that I've forgotten about you. You don't need to be scared of maybe these images that you have like pictured of who I am and it's not like actually who I am. Like actually, listen, you don't need to be scared. Yeah. Like this is who I am. You can trust that. It's awesome. So good. All right. Chapters two and three kind of get chunked together. They sort of have the same theme. He is going to address each of the seven different branches of the church. And here's his pattern. In he's going to tell them what is going well with them. He's going to give most of them a warning. He's going to give them, two of them don't get a warning. He's going to give them counsel and he's going to give each of them a promise if they overcome whatever it is that their problem is. The, usually that warning, here's a counsel on how to overcome it and then here is a promise. So that's sort of like the outline for chapters two and three. And they're a fantastic study. And they've got a lot of symbolism in them also. We want to give you the verses up on this um, on this next screen so that you can see if you want to go back through and you can see, okay, here's where he talks to Ephesus and here's Smyrna and here's Pegasus and here's <laughs> <laughs> all the different trickier, trickier. Philadelphia. At That's least like that was easy. One. Yeah, because we know that one. Um, and, and you can go through and you want to look through and find, okay, what is the... Warning, 
or what's going well. I just really, really love this pattern, by the way. And I feel like it could be used in so many different places to begin with what's going well. I, I appreciate and love that God starts right there with every single one of these cities. Can I point out what I see in you that's going really, really well? Second, can I give you a warning? And I'm not just going to give you a warning. I'm going to give you advice and counsel in how to overcome that. And then I'm going to give you a promise for those who can overcome it. And it's just a beautiful pattern. I feel like we see a lot of that pattern in general conference talks, right? We'll see, uh, we'll see what's going well. We'll see some warning counsel and always a promise associated with it. Here's why you even want to try or why you want to even, you know, put forth that effort to become aware of it and, and to, and change life patterns if you need to. Well, and it's interesting to me because at the beginning of every single one, um, like at the beginning of all of the verses, it's so tender to me how he starts because, and maybe this is just a human thing, maybe, maybe particularly a me thing, but I'm like, my like emotions are really like tender. So like when I get like, like when someone wants to like correct me, like I need it to like, First of all, I'm not just going to listen to anyone because I'm proud, okay, and I know that about me, but like, I'm not just going to sit here and be okay with anyone telling me what to do because I'm mean, so I should work on that. But also, like, I needed to, like, there's just something about who's going to give me the counsel and how they're going to do it, and the way that he does it is so beautiful to me because he actually starts out every single one, and he says, listen, I know your works and your labor and your patience and all of them have like a few different words, but he always starts out the council and he says, listen, I know you. I know what you are going through. I know your story. I know what is happening. And there's something important to realize that in those conversations with God, when you're trying to figure out, okay, God, give me some advice. What can I do better? I'm trying to figure this out. You are actually not taking advice from a stranger. You're not taking advice from someone that is unaware of your circumstances or your life story or your situation but you're actually listening to someone that says, I know you. I know what you are doing. I know what's going on around you. I know everything that is happening in your life. And then not only that, but after immediately, he always wants to say, here's what you're doing good. Mm -hmm. This is your strength right now. He does it for all of the churches. He's like, no, actually, you are doing so good at this. Here's some improvement. Here's some work. And don't worry. Let me promise you something in the end as well. And there's something so beautiful to me that I learn about Jesus in these two chapters. And that he, it's actually that he is someone that I want to listen to. And he's someone that I want to guide my life. And he's actually someone that I want to coach me because I can tell that he does it in a beautiful and inspiring way. Right. Which is cool. Yeah, I hadn't even noticed that until Grace pointed it out. And now I just barely started doing it. And I want to go back and, and do it and see how many times I want to highlight those words in my scriptures I know. And, and that is such a sweet part of both these two chapters. Like, Don't get caught up so much in the details and the symbolism that you missed some of the, like the overarching themes of this, which is I know, I know, I know, I know. He just like, there's some, I think that's so... That's a repeated phrase is probably one of the most powerful parts of chapters two through three. Completely agree. And it would be so cool. I just thought of this. If you actually made a list, because the things that he knows are so cute. It's thy works, your tribulation, your poverty. In verse um, 13, I know your chapter works. Two. Yeah, chapter two, verse 13. Oh, yeah. Wait, but I start know in your verse works. two. Two, two. Yes, yeah. two, two. And then you I go. I know your works. 
I know your, your labor, labor. I know your, your patience. patience. If you go to verse nine, I know your works. Wait, wait, wait. And then in two, and I know that you can't bear them, oh. that this is really hard and that you've tried. You've been trying. Like, yeah, I, I see your effort. The, yeah. I know that you're trying. Yeah. Okay, go to the next one. And then verse sad. nine, I know your works, your tribulation, your poverty. And I love that in parentheses, it just wants to say, but you are rich. Oh, you might so be cute. poor, but you're rich in spirit. And yeah. I'm like, that is so tender. Yeah. Um, and then verse 13 is my favorite one. I know your works and where you dwell. And there's just something about the fact. And in this circumstance, he's going to be, he's like, even where Satan's seat is and thou holdest fast my name and hast not denied my faith. And I love that he's like, no, I actually know where you're at. And I know that that city you live in is called the seat of Satan. Yeah. Which no one that will ever sell a house from there. Yeah, no one ever wants to like, Airbnb will never Zillow get you to. This is not going to convince you. The pictures will be good, but the names is like, not But it. I know, I know what it's like to live in, in such a place as that. And how does that change the way that he's going to help you live your life? The advice that he's going to give you because he's going to look at you and say, hey, I know where you're living in your circumstance and it's going to be hard to be good there. Yeah. And I see your effort and I see you try. And it would just be, there's something to be said about your personal relationship with Jesus if you go through and you start realizing everything he knows about you. And, and I want to start there. And you can show a couple of these cities and have the class say, or you yourself say, write down in your journal right here, what good things does he know about me? Mm. If, if that needs to start with a prayer, let it begin with a prayer. Uh, what does he know that is good about me? And say that, say that first. I mean, look at that verse 19. I know your charity and your service and, and, your, and your patience. That I, um, where's that one where he just says, you have a little strength. Oh, it's yeah. It's such a good one. And I, uh, now it's gonna be we, I know, maybe we're going to find oh, it. Oh, it's right. in 3.8. Yeah. For thou hast a little strength and right. has kept my word and has it's, not denied I, my name. I, you know, well, I know that, that you're just like, you just have a little strength. That's, that's all you've got. That's all you have to offer right now is just a little bit of strength. And, and I know that. And I see it. I see that little bit that you are doing. So there's something really, really powerful about those I knows. The and good, the fact. Even though I didn't write on the board, you guys don't be surprised. It's a bonus. It's yeah. a bonus. It's fine. And the fact that each one is individual. And that's something that you notice in all of these pieces of advice, of love, of um, like helpfulness of promises is that it's actually an individual promise. And he's going to say, I actually know you individually. I know a specific piece of advice and I know a specific promise that you need. Yeah, It's for you as right. an individual. And also something that's individualized in there is notice, go to Revelation chapter two, for example, for this very first one. And it's in verse one. And he says, unto you in Ephesus, these things saith he that holdeth the seven stars in his right hand, who walketh in the midst of the candlesticks. And he gives them a particular description that harkens back to chapter one. Who's used that word hearken in the last two years? I wasn't going to say anything, but. <laughs> um, it goes back to what he said in chapter one, but gives one specific part of his character and nature. And it makes me think there's something about that particular part of his personality, character, and nature that they needed to be reminded of and know, probably because of the certain conditions that they are in. Well, and every single church gets their own. Right. He doesn't repeat it. It really is. One person gets the hand with the stars and one person gets the eyes with the fire 
and one person gets, all of them get something different, which is cool to go through and mark and notice. But it's even more powerful to me to realize he knows who I am. He knows where I dwell. He knows my story. He knows what I need. But also more than all of that and how he actually starts out is he says, I can be exactly who you need me to be. Mm-hmm. I will be him for you yeah. individually. Yeah. Now, we're, here's a cheat sheet right here so that you can kind of see. As you go through, you'll discover these on your own. Here's the verses. But some of the things that he says to them, this first church is distracted. The second church is in a time of trial. This third one is dealing with like we, the people that we live, we're of the world. Be careful that you don't become of the world. This is Balaam. He talks about Balaam and Remember that story of the talking donkey in the Old Testament? What Balaam did is tried to get the people to become worldly. He wouldn't curse them, but he said, I can actually ruin them from the inside out because I can get them to start doing these other things. Drawn away, this is the story of Jezebel who brought in all the different types of new worship and new fashions and new kind of ideas from her world that were flashy and, 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 and all of this and ignored the age-old traditions. These are just the traditions. Like now, this is the way you live. This is the way you find, you know, beauty and passion in life. And their, their hearts are being drawn away from that. These people right here in Sardis are saints in name. He says, be careful of doing all the right things just so that you look good. Um, hold on is what he says to Philadelphia. Uh, you, you're making it, just don't give up. And then in Laodicea, um, apathy is their problem. He actually says that you're lukewarm to me and I want to spit you out, which makes sense this time of year if you have any hot chocolate at like a young men, young women activity and it's like just lukewarm in one of those igloo thermoses and made with water. You're just like, you know, you're just that like... That was like too specific now. <laughs> I'm like, ugh. Where you're like, bleh. Yeah. Where he says you're just lukewarm. He says be hot or, or be cold. And so you see all of those things and I think it's also worth reading them and seeing, okay, which city am I? Am I in, what, would, what counsel would he give to me? What advice would he give to me right now? That's a prayer that takes a little bit of bravery. But if you remember the tender and powerful Jesus that will speak the counsel and what his intentions are and who he is, it makes it easier to pray and ask and say, what counsel do you have for me right now? Am I doing anything that's offending me? Is there anything that's amiss or I should be careful of in my life right now? And after he's, I love what you said, after he's given his description of who he is, what his intentions are, um, it makes it easier to ask that question. And he will leave you with a promise. Right. No matter where you are, no matter what you're going through. And I think that makes that prayer a little bit easier because all of a sudden that makes me desperate to get into these verses. Once you see, okay, where am I at? Which one? How powerful of a study to be like, okay, I actually am desperate for the promise he's going to give me. So what is his advice and what will his promise be? And each one gets their own and they're beautiful. You will be filled if you are distracted. If you're in trial, I will protect you. If you are of the world, I actually promise to make you mine. You will be his. If you're drawn away, he will be, you will be constant, secure. Um, if you are saints in name, not in action, you will be known. If you're enduring, you will be claimed. If you're apathetic, you will be crowned. There is something to be said about someone will promise you something. Yeah, if you can overcome these, let me give you the counsel to overcome and this is the promise. And each of the promises are symbolic. And so this is a really fun study also. Mm-hmm. So Revelation 2, 7, for example, he that overcometh, that's another that is repeated again and again and again. Yes. If you can just 
and overcome this, I will give to eat of the tree of life, which is in the midst of the paradise of God. And you remember that tree of life as it was in the Garden of Eden. It was a symbol of Jesus. The fruits of it were the fruits of the atonement of Jesus Christ. And, and you will be filled with those promises, with the effects, with the glory, with the grace of, of Jesus. And the tree of life is in his paradise. So if you're eating from it, guess where you are mm. in the end. And so all of them are like that. They all have a, a symbol that you want to that you want to just look at and and have fun with those as well. Um, he doesn't say these words exactly. He gives like a symbolic picture yeah. of of what those are, and that is um, super cool, super cool study two and three, and a really like what do you say um, reflective spot too to just think through this pattern, right? To ask these questions to the Lord: What am I doing that's going well? Do you have any warning for me? Do you have any counsel for me? And what promises do you have for me as well? And if that feels scary, don't worry. Because don't forget that you are asking someone that knows you and knows your story, but also someone who will be exactly what you need him to be. Yeah, and will be in the midst with you. I'm mm. holding you in my hand and I'm standing in the middle of your story. He's surrounded and I know by the beginning us. and I know your end. And and all of all and my intention is only good for you. And he already told you he was faithful to you. So even if you feel like you're in a messy place, don't worry. He already promised. Right. And he didn't sign a prenup. Yeah. <laughs> He's in. Yeah. He's in. Okay. Now, after all of those, those things, and it feels like just the grittiness and the messiness of life and the words like overcome. And I know you're in Satan's seat and you've got people like Jezebel and be careful of like the Balaam type people. And, and it's, and, and it's sometimes you're, you're, you go through the motions I get, and you just feel like the grittiness of this world in two and three. You're like on earth in chapters two and three. And so in chapters four and five, he takes you into the throne room. He it moves into the future and says, let's have a little pause. Let's have an interlude of hope. Let's look at what the end game actually is. Let's, let's bring together all these promises into one room, into one place. Let you walk into that throne room and worship. Let's let you worship for a minute. Let's let you anticipate how good it will be. Which and is then like, you can go back to earth. Even you just saying that, like I like get butterflies in my stomach because I'm like, this, that is so, what a thrill that we get to study this. Yes. You know? Right. And I just, you know, I hope that new hymn book really lets us do this <laughs> a little bit more because you walk in here and they are singing and they're praising and they're worshiping. And that is something that's really, really good for the soul. Yes. Like I have that with Caleb in my car, like quite often, just to be honest with you. Like I will be driving and there will just be a particular song that comes on. And I'm just like, I have entered the throne room, you know, where you just feel it. And it's really, really good for you to like leave earth for a minute, you know, and have a moment in the presence, you know, of, of, of God, essentially, you know, just like to walk into his I mean, I'm just thinking about that recently with prayer. And I was like, what a thrill it is to pray. And what a thrill it is to begin prayer with hallowed be thy name, you know, and be in a moment of worship and honor and glory and see you're bigger and see you're worthy of my, of my praise and just take me out of, of the mundane and take me out of the, of the grind, you know, of this world. And just, it is just, again, that Sabbath, it's that Sabbath experience. It's a chance to like, oh, and, um, in fact, I love this teaching that I learned over in Israel that 
um, the Sabbath for Jews was a day that you symbolically went back into the Garden of Eden, that you mm. normally live as a pauper. And for, the, for that day, you live as a prince and princess in, in, in the presence of, of God. And they'll light the Sabbath candles, you know, as a symbol of the tree of life, come back in and bask in the light of, of his presence. And then, you know, and then now go back into the earth. And so chapters four and five are a chance to, to really do that. Now, I want to, I'm going to, I'm actually, let's fast forward to the very last page. Cause this is the, okay, this is what the worksheet looks like for this week. And you can do a couple things with this worksheet. One, you can give everyone a copy of this and so that they can kind of see it. And there's some things that they can fill out with the symbolism, like all around as, as they, as it's drawn for them already. Or you might give a blank paper to everybody and say, draw it as we do it. So depending on which way you want to do, you might just want this for your own study and your own filling out. But this would be really fun, I think, to give everyone a blank piece of paper and say, okay, draw it first, and then let's talk about the symbolism of what's happening here. So, so fun. this is in your journal for you to fill out as we go through, and or you could draw it today too if you wanted. Y'all, I drew everything on this paper, and I want you to really appreciate everything on it. We'll okay? see the lines. That was my. It I was just... one of my best moves. Yeah. And this ox is not bad either. Yeah, it's true. You're great at drawing animals. That's okay. your talent. Thank you. Surprise. Okay, so all right. Let's go into the throne room, everybody. So he says, after this, this is chapter four, I looked and a door was opened in heaven. And the first voice, which I heard was as it were of a trumpet talking with me, which said, come up hither and I will show you things which must be hereafter. Come get a glimpse of your future is what he says. And immediately I was in the spirit and behold, there was a throne set in heaven and one sat on a throne. And he, and he that sat was to look upon like a jasper and a sardine stone. And there was a rainbow round about the throne in sight, like unto an emerald. Now, if you saw that picture, you would again think like weird, like <laughs> God is all of a sudden the color of a jasper and a sardine stone. A jasper's um, green, like an emerald. And a sardine stone is red, like a ruby. And all of a sudden he's the Christmas God, you know, with red and green on him. Um, this is where you're going to need some of the symbolism again. So uh, it's actually it on that paper. Like, yeah, Let, let's remember. jump ahead to this for the, for the colors. That jasper stone, the, the emerald one, is a symbol of life and justice. The red stone is a symbol of death and mercy. Mm. So right now you're seeing, oh, he is a God of life and death. And he's a God of justice and mercy, both of those. The high priest um, in the ancient temple wore a stone that symbolized 12 stones on his breastplate that symbolized the 12 tribes of Israel. The jasper stone was the very first stone on the breastplate and the sardine stone was the last. And so the fact that he's both of those is that line again, that he is the first and the last and that he hasn't forgotten anyone. He's at the beginning of the line and the end of line and everywhere in between. Mm. So he sees that. He sees this rainbow that's those same two colors around. Remember, rainbow is, is a covenant promise of eternal life. Um, it was most likely a circular rainbow. So it was because it was round about the throne. So it's a symbol of everlasting and it's, um, and yeah. Okay. Then around the throne, it says in verse four, there were 24 seats. Um, come back to this right here. Sorry, we're just jumping around everybody. 24 is a 12 is a symbol of priesthood. And what you would want to think in particular are the promises made through priesthood covenants. 
So, and 24 is 12 plus 12. So it's a fullness of the priesthood, or in other words, a fullness of the promises and the glory and the grace poured out on people, you know, when they receive those, you know, through priesthood covenants. And he saw these 24 elders sitting. They were clothed in white raiment. Remember that clothed is a symbol of being covered. It's an atonement word. Um, And they had on their heads crowns of gold, a symbol of exaltation, a symbol of um, victory. They won is what it's saying. And out of the throne, there were lightnings and thunderings and voices. That's a symbol back to Mount Sinai when Moses went up there and they saw lightning and thunder. That's like you are in the presence of God. Remember only Moses was back then, but now in Revelation 4, everybody gets to be in there. There's a sea of glass, like under crystal, a giant Urim and Thummim. And then there's these beasts who are surrounding the throne. There is a, um, I'm just going to go in the right order. Um, there is a lion, there is a calf, and there is a one that um, looks like it has a face of a man, and then there's a flying eagle. Um, these are symbols of the tribes of Israel, Judah, Reuben, Ephraim, and Dan, and their um, attributes, what they are most known for. Judah was known as the noblest, Reuben the wisest, Ephraim the strongest, and Dan the swiftest. They're in the locations where the tribes of Israel would set up around the temple every time they stopped it. In the 40 days in the wilderness, they would stop as they would travel, set up the temple first, and then the tribes would set up around it. And so you see that like, oh, I see where I'm at. I'm inside the holy of holies of the temple is where I am in the, in the symbolism of that. And everybody does not rest night or day, verse eight, and they're all crying out, holy, 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 the Lord God Almighty, which was and is and is to come, and they are just worshiping and um, ex- and just praising him. And it's in so this tender. Realm. I'm just dead that it's all day and all night. That right. it's just like never ending. Yeah. I can't even help it. You like you have you can't run out of words. <gasps> Grace, I just <laughs> was like flipping through my Instagram, and I found the picture on my Instagram of the day you got your mission call. What? Yes, and it's so funny because on that day. I wrote, oh my gosh, am I going to even be able to find it right here? Because I want to get the quote right. But I, you know how it like takes hour to load in the past? Because when yeah, was that, 28 years ago? Yeah, um, actually but, so many. Uh, I wrote this quote in there. It actually comes from the Quran um, where it says, if all, if all the trees were pens and all the oceans were ink, there still wouldn't be enough pens and ink to write of your goodness and glory. It's something along those lines. And it's such like a, um, it's a praise to God. And so this is doing the same exact thing where it says all day and all night, they don't cease praising him. You don't run out of words of, of, of the good that he's done, of the good that he is. I found it. Look at us. What? You guys, if you're watching on YouTube, you get a bonus right now. If you're not, when I post it, you're like. We're just tiny. Yeah. I probably didn't even see that. I probably have never read that. Okay, it says this. And if all the trees in the earth were pens and the sea with seven more seas to help it were ink, the words of God could not be exhausted. And then I wrote, our God is so good. And the story about his love is the greatest story ever told. It thrills the soul with the power of a thousand earthquakes. <gasps> what? We just had that in there. It has the power to melt any heart. It reminds us we are more than we first thought. So we tell it at bedtime again and again and from pulpits as often as we can. 
And parents sent out their babies all over the world to make sure it's told in every corner and sounded in every year. And this girl right here has the story beaming from her face. A story of God's illogical and irresistible love. Her eyes will preach her first sermons with everyone she meets. The glad tidings of great joy to all people. And they will know his acceptance, and they will know his heart, and they will know his grace. That's clever. <laughs> Let's keep telling the story on repeat. It never gets old. What? Why did I never see that? I don't because know. I, but I, just, I just found it today. And it's that. It's what's that happening so in the cute. throne room. It's like the story never gets old. Play it over and over and over again. What he's done, what he is doing is so good. And it's too good. And, and, and this is about to get even oh. better. Because this is what happens when you get into chapter five. It's so good. So... I saw in the right hand of him that sat on the throne a book written. It's a scroll, and it was sealed with seven seals. You may have heard this in the book of Revelation. Don't worry, we're getting into this next time. And it's sealed shut. Now, the scroll in the hand, if you come over to here, there's some of these questions that you can fill out. What is the scroll? A scroll in a king's hand is his edict. It's his will. It's his what he wants to happen. And it's sealed shut. So in the second question, uh, verse, the strong angel proclaims the loud voice, who is worthy to open the book and loose the seals thereof. So the opening of the scroll is a symbol of accomplishing his purpose. And his purpose is, you get here in these verses right here at the end, that all creation and all people become complete and perfected and exalted. To take everything back to that picture at the end of Genesis 1. A world finished, completed, at rest, exalted, over, like, like all of those things. He's like, that's my end purpose and intention. All, to not lose any creation. To not lose any of my people. For it to be complete and perfected. And this angel, and notice it's a strong one in verse 2, says, Who is worthy to open the book and loose the seals thereof? Or worthy is a Greek word that means fit for a cause. Who's fit enough to do this? Who can open the scroll? And he says, no man in heaven, verse three, nor in earth, nor under the earth could open the book. Even that strong angel couldn't do it. And he says, I cried in verse four, because no man was fit to open and read the book, neither to look there. No one could even look upon it. No one even could approach being able to do it. And you, I think we've all sensed this before, this idea of like, how, how is this going to work out? How is this all going to be fixed? Who's going to help this? I mean, I, I, you, you take, uh, I mean, I feel like this week, um, I, like I just got hit with really personal and also with really global bad news. And it leaves you in a spot like this verse right here, where you're just like, who's going to fix this? Like, how is any of this going to turn happily ever after in the end? No one is strong enough. No one's noble enough. No one's swift enough. No one is wise enough to do this. No, no, that's who was there in the room. The noblest and the strongest and the wisest and the swiftest. And nobody could do it. And all 24 of these people sitting on their thrones, nobody could do it. And the strong angel can't do it. And, and we will look at our lives and we'll look at this world and we will cry the same tears and say, I can't do it. I'm, I don't have enough. I'm not good enough. I'm not strong enough. I don't have enough resources to do this. And he hears then in verse five, an announcement. Behold, the lion of the tribe of Judah, 
a descendant of David. He hath prevailed. And when he prevailed, he was given the power to open the book and to loose the seven. He can accomplish the work and the glory of the Father. And he hears this. And it's so crazy because you're like, he hears this announcement and it thinks it's going to be a lion. But what he sees is different from what he hears mm. and what he expects. And what he sees is a lamb. There's this little lamb that comes out. And you're like, what? <laughs> He's going to have to face a dragon, send someone bigger. And, and, and it looked as if, as if it had been slain. So it had the, like a scar across its, you know, that had been, it was a sacrificial lamb. It has seven horns and seven eyes, which is kind of creepy. But remember, seven is complete. And eyes are a symbol of, um, horns are a symbol of power. Eyes are a symbol of knowledge. So he's got um, a fullness of power. He's omniscient. He's omnipresent. He's in all these places. And, all, and we get introduced to this hero in this book. The hero that was in the book of Genesis. Do you remember? The same question Adam and Eve asked when they left the Garden of Eden was, how do we get back? Like, how, how do we get back? And an angel comes and, and teaches them sacrifice. And uh, he's like, that's a weird answer. And so it <laughs> says, after many days of sacrificing, um, a lamb, we would presume, the angel comes back and says, what are you doing? And he says, I don't know. I, I know not, you, except the Lord commanded me. And, and the angel then says to him, um, this is the answer to your question. How do we get back? This is in similitude of the sacrifice of the only begotten who's full of grace and truth. It will be through the sacrifice of an innocent creature that God's purposes will be fulfilled, that creation and, and all of people in creation will be redeemed. This is the answer. It's the lamb who was, who was slain from the foundation of the world. And it's interesting that like vic victory, think, you think victory comes through strength and through power. And we learn that victory comes through sacrificial love comes through laying down your life one day at a time. That's how, the, that's how the purposes will be accomplished. It's not like Rome. It's not like Babylon. It's not like Persia. It looks, it looks very, very different. Well, and I love that even up there, it looked different. Like if you would have looked around that throne room and what he would have expected after seeing all of that, the gold and the it's jasper and all of these beautiful, incredible yeah. things, he probably had an image of what he thought was powerful enough to break the seal, to open the seal. Yeah, yeah. And I love that in the end, it was a lamb. Yeah. That's actually who was worthy. Right. You know? Not what I expected. In the best way. Right. And then what happens next is so cool because he comes down and he takes the, the book out of his hand. And when he'd taken the book, the, all everybody fell down before the lamb. Each time they had harps and, and incense things and they're playing them and they sung a new song. And in ancient Greek, uh, Greek culture... A new song was the best song. That's what that phrase, a new song, mm. means. And it's different than the way things were. It's new. It's like we used to be playing this tune, and now we have a new song because there's something new that's just happened. There's a new creation. You're going to see that later on in the book. And it says, you are worthy to take the book. You are fit for the cause. Your sacrifice made you fit for the cause. And you're worthy of our praise. And, and it says, out of every kindred, tongue and people and nations. You have made us to our God, kings and priests to reign on this earth forever and queens and priestesses we would have. And then this verse I love so much. And I beheld and I heard the voice, this is verse 11, of many angels round about the throne of the beasts of the elders. And the number of them was 10,000 times 10,000 <laughs> and a thousands of thousands saying, worthy is the lamb who is slain 
to receive power and riches and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and blessing. Seven words, a completeness, a fullness for who? Because you might look at your life right now and be in chapters two and three and see the grittiness of it and say, I don't belong in that group. There's no way I'm in that 24 right there. But, but you could see yourself in the 10,000 times 10,000 and thousands and thousands. That he's not satisfied with saving only a few. And he's not satisfied with exalting only a few. And whatever it takes, proven by the scar across his neck, whatever it takes for each and every one of you to be included in this place, in a place of exaltation, in a place of glory, in a place of rest, in a place of peace, in a place of all promises fulfilled, surrounded by covenantal promise and blessing, he will do. It will, it will happen. And you and me, all of us can picture ourselves in that room. There's place for you in it. You were drawn into the scene. And I love that he actually flips. Like there's something so interesting to me that it says the reason that he was worthy is because he was slain. The reason he was strong enough is actually because he was slain. And there's something that usually if you are slain, that actually means you are weak. You are the weak. Like, yeah. like if you think of like a war, right. the weakest one is the one that gets slain. Like right. that is true. Right. And I love that it's actually like, no, actually that's what made him worthy. Mm. That is what made him strong enough for this. And I think that there's something to be said about heaven saying confidently, it's actually what you thought made you weak is actually your connection to the one that is strong enough to bring redemption. Mm. It's your weakness that connects you to him because he actually turned being slain and being hurt into being strong. Yeah, and also it seems to teach that your surrender is the key to victory. Give up your heart, give up your life, give up your will, hand it over to he who, who is the first and the last whose life and death, whose justice and mer- whose all of these things. Like all, there's so much richness in a picture of this place that words just couldn't do by itself. And so let your imagination um, take you there. Let See yourself there. Feel the emotion and the worship and the honor and the glory and the power of this place. Go there once a week. Find time to enter the throne room to to worship, to be reminded of these promises and of his willingness and his ability to carry them out, even for the weak, even for the slain, even for the forgotten, even for the apathetic and, the, and all the other ones that we saw in there. It's just I, an important part of Christian worship to, to enter the throne room and, and to, to be here. And, and just so you know, next time we open up the scroll, and we have the four horse of the apocalypse. And we have the plagues <laughs> and the death and the wars and the martyrs and all those things that are coming. And so like, we'll come back to the throne room. Don't you worry. There's going to be another one. But um, before we go back into the earth, because starting next time, we'll see how does he open it? How does he, how does he carry it out? And I'm guessing by base of what we saw here, it will happen in an unexpected and yet um, really delightful way is what we can look forward to. What a thrill. Yeah. We can't it's wait. It's so fun. Moments like this are good. They're like, ah, it's Christmas. See, yeah. we're, having, we're having this at Christmas time, right? Because, it, went, it went us over. You don't have to be scared. Because we get to go to January next yeah. month. So you got to, yeah, ah, have it here. Have the moment we need here. And then, and then go. All right. God bless y'all. We'll see you next week. This audio was taken from a YouTube video from our YouTube channel. 
You can find us on YouTube at Don't Miss This. Also, sign up for our newsletter at don'tmissthisstudy.com and you can follow us on Instagram at Emily Bell Freeman and at Mr. Dave Butler. Thanks for listening. Bye.